0: Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace. Again, we thank you for the small flock that's here this afternoon, but we trust there are many that are tuning in on, on Teams, and we pray that you would bless each and every one of us as we gather around thy word. Lord, be with those that are going through the difficulties that we already spoke about this morning. Be thou know, their comfort, their strength, especially the family that is going to be um, saying farewell to their father and husband and grand- and he's uh, a grandfather too. And we pray that you continue to be with them all in these coming days in, in their grief and in their sorrow. We thank you for your presence with us now and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: <coughs> for this afternoon's
0: uh, text... With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the uh, book of Hebrews and chapter 11, just as a sort of a follow up for what was talked about this morning, what was preached this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, the, the faith chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the world were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were made not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent, sac- excellent sacrifice than Cain, but by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'd like to stop at verse six. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The letter to to the Hebrews doesn't have an author that's attached to it. Many people believe it's the Apostle Paul. In some of your Bibles, you may see even the Apostle Paul. Um, going through the early church fathers um, Tertullian, one of the earlier church fathers said he believed this was written by Barnabas Barnabas had an epistle of his own according to the early church writings but there's differences of opinion so we won't be dogmatic, neither we do we think it's really that important that we know who it is, but we do believe that it's inspired by God through one of his servants. Um, and the way the, the canon came about, the Bible canon, where they selected all the books, um, they went through a process where they looked at say, is this consistent with what was taught by the by Jesus Christ and by the apostles? Uh, that was one of the criteria, I'm sure. If it was not consistent with what they were taught, what they talked about they maybe wouldn't have included it and some came very close but they left them out one of the one of them was the epistle uh, of Barnabas the other one was Hermes the Shepherd he was one of the earlier writers but we believe what we have been given uh, is the Word of God as delivered to men. unfortunately there are many false teachers heretics At that time, that wrote pseudo-gospels in the name of another apostle or in the name of another disciple. And uh, they were quickly recognized as maybe being Gnostic or heretical teachings because it didn't agree with what the very first witnesses were, the apostles themselves. Now we can see why. Perhaps one major reason that Christ... um, And God required the qualification of an apostle of Christ to be one that had witnessed his resurrection. That he was there. He was eyewitness, as John says in his uh, epistle, that which we have known or seen from the beginning, that which our hands have handled, the word of life. You know, we were there. We saw him. We felt him. We handled him we heard him we experienced his presence and they were the first-hand witnesses that could give an account uh, of what Jesus did and taught now the writer to the Hebrews said that he's trying to um, define what faith is what is faith is it something that's blind is it something that's based on superstition is it something that's not based on any substance evidence no the very first verse says now faith faith is the substance of things hoped for it's what gives meat to what we hope for in other words uh, gives um, something that we can work off and and, and uh, um, y- put our hands around in order to say i can go to the next step it's believable what i've heard okay now this faith that he's talking about in this chapter remember some time ago we mentioned that faith is really what a christian needs for the present what a christian needs for the present what motivates or motorizes the christian into action his faith now it it does involve um, the aspect of belief that you believe something even though you haven't seen it if someone would tell you something you say do you believe me doug and I say, I can believe that, I haven't seen it, but you've given enough, if you will, what he says in the second half of the verse, evidence of things that I haven't believed, that I, that I haven't seen, should I say. So faith that he's talking about is not something that is just uh, aloof, that is detached from reality, that is uh, just superstitious. Because a superstition is a belief in something that has no—you have no rational basis for. Faith is a rational, has a, a rational basis, and that is the rational basis is is that, well, there was a man called Jesus, he was on the earth, he did perform these miracles, there were many witnesses that saw him, and five hundred it says before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. That's the basis for me to believe that. And most court cases are solved by witnesses, eyewitnesses, circumstantial evidence. Most court cases, even murders and crimes, are solved based on what, necess- what the jury hasn't seen but they heard through witnesses. Unfortunately, some of them are wrong. Unfortunately, some are falsely incriminated. But with God, there is no mistake as, to far, as far as how He judges and views um, the actions of people. So faith is the substance of things for uh, uh, hope. for. The first you need to have some mental assent that you can, you can accept what is being said as true. And even if we haven't seen. Ourselves, we weren't here in 32 A.D. or 33 A.D. when Jesus was crucified. But because of the witnesses that came before us, the apostles, they were his witnesses. He said in Acts chapter one, "Ye shall be my witnesses unto the ends of this world, to the uttermost parts of this world." But the, if the faith that he's talking about now is a practical faith, which works, that's what he... Well, it's, it's, it's a mixture, but you can see by the enumeration of all the, 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 the um, deeds and tasks and activities of the fathers of faith, he's talking about this faith that works. So faith without works is dead, James says, right? You can tell me you believe, the, the, the devils believe, and they tremble. You can tell me that you have faith without your works, do you you want me to believe you? Or you can show me your faith by your works and um, that is far more convincing when someone by their works can demonstrate what they believe. And this was what uh, really uh, impressed me with Samuel um, Morris who believed what he heard because of his own experience with God. And then he acted on what he saw, what he understood, what he believed from the word of God, why he could always be in prayer, why he could always challenge people and, and, and exhort them and urge them to, to, to exercise their faith as God had intended. So verse 2 says, for it, by it, by faith that is, referring back to faith. By it, the elders obtained a good report. So you can see the elders, what he's talking about here is not elders of churches here. He's talking about those that had gone before, the forefathers, and he names them one by one. Um, By faith, they obtained a good report that was evidenced by what they did. They proved themselves by what they did. And then he goes through a whole lot of numbers, uh, a whole lot of uh, people that we've started reading up to verse 6. Then he says, he gives the um, the belief aspect of this. Verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the world were framed by the word of God. We weren't there when the world was created. But we believe what God said about how the world was created. And he gives several places in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament in, in Genesis 1 and then through Colossians and Hebrews and um, other places where he actually specifies that he made the world through his son, as mentioned this morning. Jesus Christ executed the plan of creation, God's plan, but Jesus was the executor of the plan. Like when there's a will in a, in a, in a will, there is a, a testament that is made, a will of a person that when he dies, this is what I want you to be done with my estate. Then you have the executor of the estate. Everything that's written in here, he goes ahead and does sell this, give to this person, give to that person, uh, get rid of this, and so forth. Jesus Christ was the executor of God's plan of creation. And then we are not only believe that because of his word, but we believe that it's God's plan because no one could have made this world the way it is Because, number one, he says, the world wasn't created by things that are, that already are, that already exist. In other words, that rules out evolution. Creatures didn't come out of the world by themselves. Somebody must have put them there. They didn't come from stones or minerals and so forth. They actually were created. And one of the Darwinian theories was this slow process of evolution and that got blown out of the water when they came across the cambrian explosion the, what they call the cambrian period where all of a sudden in this rock strata was they didn't see some gradual evolution of creatures as you go up the rocks they saw this explosion of all kinds of different sizes shapes and types of creatures and they said this does not align with this does not align with your theory of this gradual evolution, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which appear. In other words, God said, let there be, and there was. It's external to the world, it's outside of this this universe that this command came and God created the heavens and the earth. But then he goes... (coughs) into verse 3, 4, and he says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And by doing that he obtained a witness, he demonstrated that he was righteous. Obviously, from this verse, both Cain and Abel knew how they should be pleasing unto God, what they should be doing in order to adhere to the covenant that God made with Adam. And Adam and Eve were teaching their children up to this point. Even though they had sinned themselves and God had clothed them and 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 uh, rebuked them and 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 cursed his creation because of them. Yet still, he he clothed them with with animal skins, and now says, you know, now that you've done this, you know what to do. I've given you I've given you one command: not to eat of this fruit, and you couldn't hold it. But they knew through the knowledge of good and evil, what was morally right and morally wrong, at least within their own sphere of understanding at the time. So by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain could not have an excuse saying, I didn't know. God would not, and even even the early church fathers Uh, made a statement, God wouldn't ask you to repent of something if he wasn't willing to forgive you for something. God wouldn't ask you to repent of something and then, then judge you and send you to hell if you did repent. I'm just paraphrasing that. So God was expecting both Abel and Cain to worship him in a way that would be pleasing in his sight, Cain chose to do it one way, Abel the other. Cain, Abel offered the, 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 his flock, his first signal of his flock, and, and Cain offered his growth, his vegetables, whatever he was growing, his harvest, because he tilled the land. And for whatever reason, God chose one or the other. And I'm just wondering, was it that he what he offered and he knew, or was it, the attitude with which he had, which he had, with which he offered what he had. And when he, when he met uh, Cain after he killed his brother, he, he asked Cain, would, would you not have been rewarded? Would you not have been commended? If you did right but sin is crouching at the door something that was in his heart was sinful and his offering was not accepted maybe that's going back to the whole idea of what the Jews were going through your lips are close to me but your heart is far from me why are you doing this why are you Are you doing it for praise, for favour, or are you doing it because you love me, because you want to be obedient and honour me? Are you doing it to get a reward, or are you doing it because of who I am? I've heard it once said that when someone repents from their sins... They don't only repent of the bad things that they've done, or not only should they repent for the bad things that they've done, but even for the good things that they've done for an ulterior motive. You understand what's what's being said? That if I'm doing these works to get favour and praise and work my way up, they're good works, but your heart is not right. It's not for the right reason. And you can see that in Corinthians chapter 13. It says, though I give my goods to the poor and have not charity, have not the love of God in doing so, I'm, but it's in vain. I'm a, a clanging brass in a tinkling cymbal. Though give my body to be burned, but I have not charity. It it merits me nothing. And so God is telling us that our offerings to God can be acceptable or not acceptable. And it all depends on the faith that we have. What is the faith that we have that motivates us to do that? Is it, is, a, is it a pure faith? Is it a, a, a virtuous faith? Or is it something to say, you know, I'm doing this because I want a bigger reward or I want acknowledgement or I want praise. Which? How do we do this? With Abel, his, his sacrifice was more excellent than Cain. And God testified to the excellence of Abel's offering And by it being dead, by it Abel being dead, yet speaks his faith. Remember what what happened in the garden? The blood of Abel was crying out to God. And God could see that. And so, even our legacy that we leave behind, and I'm so thankful for the legacies and the, 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 the heritage that we do have, and we hear it many times at funerals, what somebody has left behind when they die and the impact that particular individual had on me or, or on somebody else. And I, we, we can all think of our own experiences how even after they die, yet their faith speaks to us. Just recently, we had Brother Tom Schuritz. How many people, he must have had uh, maybe 200 comments, I forget, on her Facebook page, Sister Lily's. And every one of them almost had a very similar A testimony for Brother Tom, the kind of life he led. We remember Sister Emma Keck's funeral. The things that she did, the testimony that she left behind. And when Revelation talks about those that were faithful martyrs for Christ, for God, it says, and their works follow them. What a um, what a testimony, a witness. What a what a joy in dying. You know, brother Paul is gone, brother Tom is gone, sister Emma is gone. But there is some. There's a lot of joy in knowing and believing that they have reached the other shore and leaving behind a good witness leaving behind a good testimony. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Can we look at our lives now and say, if I were to die today you know that the the whole the whole elephant in the room perhaps if i can say now is who's next who would have thought that brother paul would have gone who would have thought that brother brother tom would have gone to his reward for sister emma we were sort of expecting it but what about for those that are staying behind what about who's next of the young Can we say that we believe that we are living a life pleasing to God so that when we are taken, we would have this testimony that we please God? I know I can look into my own life and I know that I can, there's a little, there are many things that I can improve in. Many. I was just having that thought the other day. There are so many things I can improve in. And this whole um, understanding of perfection. We talk about perfection in the Bible. That you may be perfect, the Apostle Paul says. Really means this completion, maturity in your faith. Not that you are completely sin-free or stain-free or or error-free, but... You've grown in the faith, you've become a mature believer in Christ, and you're functioning as Christ would want you to function. Granted, when you're young and and, and immature, you say things, do things, think things that are perhaps not right, but hopefully over time, the process of sanctification and this, this becoming conformed to the image of christ as it says in romans chapter 8 verse 29 that we are being conformed to the image of christ and paul says in another place until christ be formed in you fully formed in you that it's a painful process it's trying to fit our shape into the shape of Christ. Just trying to shoehorn us into the where we have jagged edges that they'd be chiselled off, that they would be they would be sanded down. That there's pain, there's growth, and 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 hopefully by the end of our lives we would have become more mature. It doesn't mean we will be earning his forgiveness or anything like that. It means that we will grow and learn and be more careful the next time. God's forgiveness is still there. His grace is still there. When we fall short, when we come short, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I have not yet attained that which for which, for which I was apprehended. Christ apprehended him. He arrested him on the road to Damascus. But now he has to go out and apprehend others that are on the path of destruction. So do we have that testimony that we please God? And how how do we please Him? Without faith, verse 6, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We've got to please him by believing what he says. You know we have that hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And it's not just to be happy in Jesus, it's to please him. Without faith, it is impossible. To please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That doesn't mean um, I, that's why I believe this is speaking to believers. A lot of aspects of this can apply to unbelievers, but he's saying <clears throat> he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We don't earn our forgiveness through a reward because we've done something. For for the unconverted, we are forgiven because of his grace and the condition of receiving his grace is humility and faith, believing that he will give it to us. Having that expectation, like the leper did this morning, we heard, and the centurion, having that expectation that when I come to Christ, he will hear me. He will have a heart of compassion, and he will respond. So when it says that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, it doesn't mean that he rewards our oh, Works And therefore, by that, he can forgive us. But I, I do believe that our works will give a reward to us, as the scripture so plainly teaches. First Corinthians 3 and other chapters, and 2 Corinthians 5. That, that our, the things that we do, the works that we do, which are witness to our faith, will be rewarded. And Jesus talks about, he that has been faithful in much, right? We'll receive, be ruler over ten cities or he'll get five talents. You know, we'll we'll double it and so forth. And he'll he'll receive reward. But when it comes to salvation, it's purely grace. And it's not cheap grace. It's grace that is given to us because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. I love the saying that God doesn't give us things because we are good but because he is good. He does say you need to diligently seek me and I will give you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 seek, knock and ask. Saying you've got to do something on your part. How badly do you want it? How badly did Samuel Morris want to know more about the Holy Spirit, more about God? He was so badly that he wondered that he crossed the Atlantic Ocean in five months, enduring even perils at sea. And when he finally got there, he pursued it until he got his answers. And then at the very tender age of 20 years old, he died. So when we seek him, God will diligently reward us. Uh, uh, Gratefully reward us. He will reward us if we diligently seek him. Have you ever said to yourself, Well, I tried, I prayed, nothing happened. I remember the story, and I'll tell it again because maybe that's how wishful wishful praying occurs in people's lives, where the mother and the son they agreed. That, you know, God said that he can move mountains if we have faith. And they had a tree in front of their house, right in front of the window, the picture window. And they said, let's pray, and let's, let's pray that God remove this tree from our house. And they prayed, and in the morning they woke up, they opened the windows. What? Well, the tree was still there. And what did the sun say? I knew it wouldn't happen. Is it wishful thinking, or is it hopeful expectation? That God will do what he said he would do. And this chapter will take a long time to go through every individual hero of faith. And the the very uh, accounts that were written of them in the Old Testament. In Genesis and Exodus. And in the prophets as well, it's believed. But it's a rational faith, it's based on evidence, and it's practiced through trust that God will deliver. I just pray that every one of us will have that simple faith that as we make one step to God, He will respond. He will give grace to the humble. We will be like the leper, we'll be like the centurion. We approach God, we approach Christ, and he will hear our prayers, and it just has to be a simple faith. To God be all the glory. May somebody um, please find a hymn, a brother, find a hymn to close. May the Lord bless upon our hearts what we have heard this day. The fellowship that we've had, the singing, it's very encouraging even in small numbers to, to be here to encourage one another and to glorify God. And in doing so, we upbuild the fellowship and to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.